Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now I'm delighted to say that my guest today, someone who you will recognise very well if you watch television, go to the movies or indeed if you go to the theatre. Lawrence Fox is an actor, a singer and songwriter. He went to RADA and after that carved out a successful career in films such as Gosford Park, the Queen Elizabeth, uh, the Golden Age, and in television in programmes such as perhaps most famously Lewis, which ran for about nine years. He's most recently been seen uh, playing Lord Palmerston in ITV's Victoria. And uh, as a singer and songwriter, his third album was out this year. It's called A Grief Observed. Congratulations, Lawrence, on, on the new album. And uh, I, I want to start, I mentioned that you were at RADA. Um, recently, you had a bit of a problem with them for, for some reason, didn't you? Yes, I did. Thank you, anyway, for having me on. Oh, um, it's a pleasure. I received an email when I was on holiday saying that um, RADA were inviting script submissions from women uh, that needed to be 50% uh, female characters, 50% female stage time. It was essentially a very controlling email about um, the fact there needed to be absolute equity in the in the script submissions. And then it rounded off by saying we welcome writing from any gender, but you know we're specifically pushing towards those who identify as female. And I just thought, what? Yes. Really? This is where I learned. I was taught voice by a man called Robert Palmer at RADA who taught Maggie Thatcher pharyngeal resonance. So, you know, it's, there's a technical requirement to act. There's not really a political requirement to act. That is there. So I was very frustrated by its drive towards an equity drive rather than an equality drive. So I then tweeted them and I said, are you going to go down this path? What's the point? And I'm not sure they were that thrilled. When you were actually out, Rada, this was presumably, you know, this wasn't an issue then, was it? No, weirdly, actually, I mean, the, I got a few problems because of my surname, but it would be the middle-class girls' dads who would have a problem, and your bricky from Liverpool um, would go, good on you, mate, you know. So it was, no, I think there, there was more of a class problem, not problem, but a class awareness then, as often been the case in acting. But now it's very much, a, it's a different vibe. It's, uh, I should explain, obviously, for people, who I'm sure you do know, but obviously your family is, is actually a, an acting dynasty, isn't it? I mean, you know, your father, your uncle, your sibling. Yeah, they are. And, uh, but this, this, this wasn't the problem. It was the fact that you were a public school boy? I think that was a public school boy, which I th actually think is fair enough. Yeah. And also it's okay. I think you can take a pop at somebody for being posh and you know acting is quite an expensive game at the beginning especially if you're not successful so I can see where there is a case for uh, people with less means to be you know to say that that needs to be supported but no not, not that any of this identitarian stuff it was it's it's new and fast running isn't it do you think uh, there, there have been some complaints recently from various actors saying that you know now I think you've just alluded to that, it's become something that you can only do if you can self-fund in some ways. And, mm. uh, you know, this whole thing that working class actors, uh, you know, basically are, as it were, in decline in the sense that it's just not possible for them. Do you, is there anything in that? I mean, 
There's certainly something yeah. in that, but it is it is often working class actors who've got a load of money who tend to complain about right. other working class actors. Okay. You know, so and then you get into a conversation about what class is yeah. and all of those sorts of things. And I think you know, basic humanity is that we all, you know, we're all the. the what's that great bit about the sun shines on all of us and rains on all of us regardless you know yeah, yeah. so i'm not sure identity is that crucial but class yeah you do want to it's hard my little brother was an actor uh, and his first acting job he got paid i got paid 10 times the money for my first acting job that he got paid for his first acting job 15 years later really so they definitely, but a lot of jobs are doing this, aren't they? They're, they're making your first few years in professional work apprenticeships, essentially. Mm. And, you know, cameramen in, in film are, are staying on longer, filming longer. And, you know, so as, as you progress up the, the technician ladder, you know, people are staying in the, in the profession longer. So I don't think it's totally a class thing. I think it's a people are living longer and working longer thing as well. Yes. Just to go back uh, to this uh, particular issue with Rada and, the, and what they sent you and about the submissions, I, I don't know if you heard, but recently BAFTA um, uh, have announced that they are going to have different rules if you want to be nominated for a BAFTA award, which basically comes down to that you've got to show that there was a certain quotient uh, diversity or whatever, either in front of, behind camera. Now, I mean, the thing is, Lawrence, doesn't, doesn't this sort of start to seriously distort what we might even call creativity generally? I think 100%, you know, I would love nothing more in my life than to be able to be the centre forward for Liverpool. But I'm useless. I mean, I've got a couple of Peter Crouch moves, but I can't because I'm my meritocratically, I'm just not that good. Mm. So I think if you go down a diversity quotient uh, road, you're going to end up with the often with the second best yeah. of everything, be yeah. it an air traffic controller or be it an actor. Yeah. So it seems to me ridiculous. I don't know why. I, I don't understand where it's come from either. I find it odd. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, you, you have actually spoken, you know, you've been quite outspoken about it, or should I say you have an opinion about it, yeah. uh, which goes generally against the grain of your profession. This woke thing, or the identity politics thing, does seem to have descended, like, you know, within the past few years. Is, is that your perception too? Where has it come from? I don't know. I think about it all the time. I wonder whether um, Douglas Murray is right that it happened sort of after the financial crisis. I wonder whether watching all of those people get away with what they got away with um, unaccountably and then the iPhone probably and social media would have played a part in it. But again, you know, it is the death of God as well. And this need that that need to fill the gap in your in your moral gap, your 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 compassion gap that needs to come from somewhere else and this desire to be hugely compassionate which is a sort of religion of one you are the god in the religion and if, if people don't agree with you then they're the heretic and they need to be you know punished so it is a kind of religious thing though, really. i think it's totally religious it's it bears all the hallmarks of a religion doesn't it it's it's intolerant uh, in you know in its, in its extreme form and um, those that don't subscribe to it are the are heretics and the enemy. It's, it feels very dangerous though because it doesn't feel like it comes from, at least with other religions, you're, 
the Godhead is outside of you, whereas in the woke religion, the Godhead is within you. So you're not, you can, you cannot be hypocritical, for example, because you are God. And then for anyone with sort of what I would call a vaguely sensible liberal opinion, which is what I think I probably am, I find it maddening. It drives me round the bend. I don't like being lectured to. And also, I, I'm lucky enough to, my best friend from RADA actually was, um, we, we learned to act together, he was a brilliant actor. It didn't work for him, probably because he didn't really want to act as much, but he became a prison officer because he said that was a real acting job. And so, which is true. And he is, um, he's representative of, you know, what they would call straight white male privilege. And uh, you've, you've hard pushed to meet someone who's got less privilege than yeah. that man does. So, you know, and, he, and he's a socialist and we talk a lot and we disagree about almost everything, but we have amazing and wonderful conversations with each other. And I'm noticing that you can't have those conversations with somebody. And I think the you know, things like the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, when it was, you must believe the victim. So it's like we must overturn the very cornerstone of what due process is, in just for the sake of someone saying that they've, um, you know, been assaulted. It's like, this is what the legal system is for. Do you think that our, I mean, the, our creative institutions the ones that you come into contact with, you know, I mean, right from the BBC right through, you know, uh, they sort of, they pretty much impose this sort of new morality in a way, do you not think? I mean, I think you mentioned that you don't want to pay your BBC licence anymore, is that right? I don't think we should have to pay the licence fee when when the language is, we're, we're not free to, to speak. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's all it's today. They announced, didn't they, very recently that they were bringing in um, they, the European Council Commission or whatever were announcing that we're in a climate emergency and that mm. there were climate change deniers. Mm. And I hear this on mainstream yeah. media, and you're going, "There's only other, ever one other phrase that starts with, that ends in denier yeah, that yeah. people use." So they've yeah. stolen the language and. And I'm an actor and my, I make my living from delivering words. So words mean a great deal to me. So when words are stolen and, you know, repropositioned to do something else, I, I, I find it very frustrating. So, yeah, I think they're... But fortunately as well, you know, I'm, I am ultimately self-employed, but we'll see what happens with me offering my opinion about these things. So I'm not in an institution where I have to... Where I'm not... I'm not I don't have to do, I don't know, implicit bias training or, or things that people are being more and more forced to do. Well, I think actually that's, that's actually a point that Dogs Murray does make, that in fact, you know, the only safe thing to be now is self-employed, because <laughs> almost in any situation, public body or indeed corporate, you are going to come up against these issues all the time. And you're not allowed to question them, and if yeah. you question them, you're, you know, there's, is blacklist, you're blacklisted, essentially, isn't it? Well, I mean, how are you regarded, therefore, in your industry? I mean... Lawrence, in the sense that the perception is, you know, and from all public utterances we generally get, actors tend to say roughly the same sort of thing, uh, have the same kind of view. Um, you know, do people think you are this strange anomaly, or, or, or are there more people who believe or, you know, say what you say? I think they, um, I think you'll find that there's quite a large proportion of people that think how I think. Mm. Um, 
but also there's there's an orthodoxy. You, there's a way you're you're meant to be as a as a lovey, as mm. we're called. And I'm I just <laughs> I think maybe I grew up because I grew up in a in a family of loveys. It's sort of I'm a, I'm a whatever generation lovey. It's now also normal to me that I don't feel that I have to adopt the the the, the given position at any f- period of time. But no, there certainly are, and um, you because. The great things wouldn't be made if they were made by mm. navel-gazing leftist people. It did, you need co- comedy, and yeah. comedy comes from the central yes. centrist, or or slightly, you know, it's it's that's where it comes from. Heroism as well. But, but what would you? How would you define yourself politically then? I mean, what, how would you? Def- you know, yeah. I don't. Know, I'm, I really don't know. I think sensible. Right. Probably, I think conservative in the in the classic sense of what conservative means, yeah. which is you know don't change something quickly that is a, that is working, mm-hmm. I suppose. But I would say liberal. Liberal. I think, I've done a political compass test, and it says that I'm a, I'm slightly left wing, and a, um, a, it gave me a really it gave me an interesting thing. I can't remember what it called me, but I'm sort of left wing and a little bit down. But that's fascist <laughs> nowadays. <coughs> you were, uh, so I mentioned the acting, acting fraternity there. I, I just want to, one thing that's always interested me, I used to work in the arts and making programs and things, is that this is a field that thrives on the idea that it's original, free thinking, you know, cutting edge, pushing the envelope, all these cliches. And yet, it does appear that people in the general creative uh, field think pretty much the same thing about most things. I mean, whether it's climate change, multiculturalism, whatever, really. And this is extraordinarily paradoxical, isn't it? Well, we're not. We're encouraged in all forms of diversity except a diverse opinion, Mm. aren't we? So, Mm. and I can understand, you know, you don't really want to bite the hand that feeds you. I can understand that as well, but we should, we should be free to express, mm. you know, dissent or anything. What is art? Art is to go against. Art is to, is, is countercultural in yeah. many ways, isn't it? So I think it's disappointing that. Um, well, I mean, look, you just only have to look at the box office figures of a lot of the films that really embrace this woke thing, and you find out that they um, people aren't going to watch them. Uh, have there been any recent examples of that? I think Charlie's Angels, the new, yeah. is it the new Charlie's Angels made yeah. $130 million on its first weekend, which is not brilliant. Yeah. And then you get these, um, you look at the Rotten Tomatoes yes. stuff that's been going on with the Dave Chappelle and the Hannah Gadsby. And yeah. it's, it's just, I think it's funny the more yeah. that this tries to shovel, this is the opinion, you must believe this, get on the train the more people just go, I'm not getting on the train. Yes. And it's the same with, um, with Brexit and climate change and Trump and all of these things. And I suppose it concerns me as well because I've got children and I don't, my children often say things to me. My, um, my, youngest, my dad said to my youngest son, what, what's your favourite subject at school? And he said, social justice. And my oh. dad said, justice is not a word that needs a modifier. Quite. To him. Absolutely. And you can tell your teacher that from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems that uh, you mentioned Brexit there. There was a letter that was written, I think, by a huge number of a- actors and directors to the Times. And in it, they even made this claim. They said, you know, they were obviously all hugely against Brexit. But they made this claim that our creative imagination will suffer. <laughs> and you sort of think, well, wait a minute. I mean, we've been doing this for quite a few years. Yeah. 
I'm really? <laughs> yes. You're creative, you know, I mean, honestly, where does it come from? I, uh, I don't understand. I, d I don't think Brexit has any effect on your creative imagination. Um, and also, I didn't particularly, I didn't particularly have a view on Brexit. I sort of, I quite like the, the natural English lack of trust of everything except the English, which is quite fun. It's, you know, mm. we're a nation and that's what we're like, mm. a very tolerant nation at the same time. So um, it's, the, it's the extremely patronising yeah, atmosphere. Yeah. So once the Brexit um, result came through, I also was, I was like, well, that's interesting. It's interesting that the people have turned around to the establishment and gone up yours, son. Yes. And then I actually got, then I started to really care because I was like, oh, they're, they're not going to let it happen. Mm. So then you go, oh, the cat's out the bag. We all know. So it's, we do, is this a democratic country? I mean, democracy is an odd word. I'm not totally sure what it means. But that's 17.4 million people are about to be ignored. So whatever your position on it is, I'm like, no, that, you, that should be implemented. But it's not going to be implemented. You say the cat's out of the bag there. I, I, I know exactly what you mean there. Do you think, I mean, has your attitude to, your, to this country and its institutions changed as a result of the past three and a half years? I th I, or not? I mean, do you still trust them, basically? Well, I've had a sort of microcosmic version of this by just being a sort of well-spoken English person. There's been a, there's a sort of general uh, about that. So I'm kind of fairly used to identitarian, mm. being treated in an identitarian way. But I, I think it's wonderful that, you know, all of those things you I was told as a young actor when I started to get a bit more successful and would do interviews or I'd be in the newspaper and people say, don't believe what you read in the papers. Now you know that you genuinely don't, shouldn't believe what you read in the papers. Yeah. So, so when I say the cat's out of the bag, it really is. And people have got so many sources that they can go to for mm. information that the divide is only going to actually get bigger, I think, between those that will accept and look for the truth and that those that want to stifle anything to do with the truth. Has this always been something that, you, that has engaged you or is it quite relatively new? It's new, I think. But I, I, I'm, I was listening back actually to my old album, the one, mm. and I wrote a song called Blinded by the Truth on it. Mm. And um, that's about this topic and I just didn't know what I was writing at that point. So I think it's been simmering, but now I do feel that if you if you feel something, you should you should practice what you preach. You shouldn't pretend that you feel something different. So basically, your your views, your reactions to these things, that does inform what you write musically. I mean, like for example, in your in your latest work, how does it come up in in your latest album? That well, I wrote. There's a song called "The Distance," and it says. Um, they have, I get, must get my own lyrics right. They have put something in the water. They seek a cure for the conversation. Uh, they stole a march on your opinion. And the first of all was laughter, just to quell the unoffended. They really? seek to murder your opinion, yeah. Really? Oh. So uh, it really, it obviously bothers me enough. And yeah. it's also kind of not really, it's a protest song at the end of the day. Yes. So um, yeah, it does affect, it, it, it does affect. But you also, you, you're, we're raising, I'm raising children and um, I want those children to be, you know, to, to pursue truth, not their own selfish version of their truth, because I think that's a mistake. There's a, isn't it right that as well that you, the Me Too movement inspired something on your album, didn't it? It did, yes. I, um, I was watching the Golden Globes. Well, I wasn't watching the Golden Globes. I mean, I, I, award ceremonies are not great fun to watch. But I did see a lot of quite revealing dresses with a lot of signs saying time's up and me too and I did say 
is anybody else going to point out the slightly clearing hypocrisy here? <laughs> elephant, elephant, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. yeah. This is uh, something I, I know, I mean, I've read when I was reading about you. And it's, it is this hypocrisy, whether it's about Me Too or whether indeed it's about the uh, climate change uh, movement. Um, that basically, it is very much a matter, isn't it, of, you know, do as we say, not as we do. Yeah, and it's also, I think there's something even more insidious about it, which is to take people with much lower expectation and aspiration in life, like my great chum, who really does need to take his daughter on holiday once mm. a year to to, to give his years some, a chapter element to it. And I think it's about saying to them, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No more easy jet for you guys. We're gonna reduce the standard of your living. For what as mm. well, why? Mm. And um, if, but also if there was a balanced discussion about climate change, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. But there isn't a balanced discussion about climate change. It's one thing. And then you just think it's been going on for years. This It's the doomsday cultists of it's the end of all days. And the problem is they all of this sort of really extreme leftist thinking always starts with a tiny grain of truth, which right. is the world could, we could be destroying the planet. But then if you go into what uh, the Extinction Rebellion team are all on about and then you start going just beneath the surface into what climate justice is and even Corbyn was saying peace justice you know these ridiculous words that they're piling together that's not really got anything to do with the environment that's about authoritarian you know neo-communist living and yes. I'm going to resist that because it doesn't end well does it no no I mean, we're, we're actually recording this in the middle of a general uh, general election I mean what 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 do you think and this is a very broad question, Lawrence. But I mean, what what do you think the election is showing about Britain? Really, I mean, are you are you following it very much? Are you? I follow it a bit. I mean, I'm just I'm I just we don't have an opposition. We no. sort of have a Conservative Party, but not really. I mean, I, I don't really know. The, the Conservative Party brought in these hate speech laws and this, mm. and you know, the gender laws, and you're just going, surely that's not the job of the Conservative Party. No, the job no. of the Conservative Party is to question this mm. stuff, look at it, you know, bring these things in slowly. That's You can serve society, don't you? You can serve culture. So I'm not really sure we have a Conservative Party. And I think the fact that Jeremy Corbyn is the leader of the opposition when he's just an open anti-Semite. Well, he's not an open anti-Semite, but it's pretty obvious that mm, he's yeah. an anti-Semite. And it doesn't take much digging around to find videos of him saying, you know, the, the BBC insists that Israel has a right to exist. It's like... That's really? a new one that's just come up, isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, people are sort of digging and finding yeah, these things. Yeah. And he's, you know, I, don't, that, I can't believe it. I think it's awful that we should do that to the Jewish community in this country mm. to make them feel that unsafe when we know what happens when you don't protect people and their faith and their religion, or as race in, their, in that case. You, um, you, you're quite sort of outspoken, or you, or, or you know about what, what you believe. Um, as I said earlier, we're not really used to actors maybe questioning woke and identity politics. Uh, what we are used to are people like Robert De Niro getting up and saying uh, "f you, Mr. President," and constant stream of, particularly in America, I'm talking now. Mm. Uh, I just wonder what you think of this view that if actors sort of carry on doing this, they are eventually maybe going to alienate their the audiences. I think they've already alienated their audiences, some of them. But I can understand why Robert De Niro does it. You know, you're also in a room, probably similar to the BBC, you're in a room where everybody agrees with you who's vocal about it. And it's, you know, it's, you're going to look better if you say 
mm. F you, Mr. Trump. Mm. That's great, but actually, you you know, you can be a bit braver about it. And it's interesting what what I'm really interested by Donald Trump. I find him fascinating because he's actually a very funny man. Mm. He's like his. He did a meme yesterday. I think the Daily Wire started it, but of him with Rocky on Rocky's body, yes. and that's funny whether you like it or not. So the conversation I have with myself about him is, do you want the leader of the free world being a good stand-up comic? <laughs> you recently did a sort of Trump-related stunt, didn't you? Or an mm. experiment, didn't you? This is where, I mean, you went out. Well, you can tell us. What was it? What? I, um, I, uh, I, I'm sorry, who can I not in, incriminate with this story? <laughs> so, right, I, 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 Trump 2020 hat found its way. Well, it actually, was a it, well, it was a mega hat or a Trump 2020 hat found its way into my um, possession, and I thought, I want to see what the English reaction to this cap is. So I decided to do my Saturday ritual: go to the shops, then go off to a lunch and various. And it was amazing the amount of derangement that was caused. Really, such as what? Well, one lady had a sleeping baby in a pram that she was, you know, how mums can be so conscientious about keeping their baby sleeping. But as I walked past, she went into this sort of finger-wagging madness, screaming at me, calling me crazy. And then the lunch I went to, I was asked to remove the hat. Really? Yeah. So the lunch was, uh, what, what would you, what... Uh, sort of like young liberals, or, yeah. Or what? yeah, yeah. And um, I was asked to remove that, so I thought, no, I'm not going to remove that because that this sound, this feels a bit like I'm in a mosque and I've got to wear certain things, or I've, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's for what I find odd about it is it's for quite optimistic words. Mm. It's not so much a swastika. I don't think it's a symbol of white nationalism or anything like that. I think it's. It's that a, a thing again to just stifle any form mm. of discussion. So I'm well up for a balanced debate on anything, but to just to go get the hat off. So what did you do? So I left. You did. I walked home. Right. You do notice that there's a distinctly less um, vehement reaction it, uh, the less salubrious the area you're in. So basically, people are what well, they're just simply not bothered, or they're not, or, or they're not they're outraged. Not sure. I mean, you just you know, as you go over the border from Dulwich into Camberwell, it seems to uh, just get a bit less. <laughs> well, Lawrence, thank you so much for coming. Coming. What, you, the uh, the new album is called A Grief Observed. It is. And where can we see you next, by the way, on TV? I'm go I've just done a Netflix show where I play a Buddhist drug dealer. Oh, right. Okay. Which is, uh, As you do. Which was hilarious. And I took all of my joy about hypocrisy out on that wonderful character, which will be out next year. And then um, I'm touring the album in February. Oh, right. Okay. Where can people see you? All around the All UK? over the UK, yes. But, um, I have to go to Nottingham, otherwise Joe at Nottingham Radio will be furious. So okay. Well, all the very best, for it and thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, that's it for us. What you're saying is this week. Please do remember to subscribe, won't you? And uh, see you next time. Thank you.